grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Jo Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Hi and welcome to Adopt Perspective. I'm your host, Joe Sparrow, and today we're talking about managing the lifelong legacy of adoption, weathering its storms and rejoicing in the sunny days with someone who has a great deal of experience with both, Colette Glazebrook. We had such a great chat, Colette and I, that rather than editing some out and missing out on it, um, I split the episode in two and will release the second part on the 17th of November. So without further ado, let's get underway. Colette Glazebrook was born in 1948 and adopted three days later. She has volunteered for Jigsaw Queensland on the management committee as a peer support worker, support group facilitator and in many other roles for more than two decades. She published a book about her adoption experience called Facing the Fears in 2007. Colette celebrated her golden wedding anniversary to Brian a couple of years ago and is a proud mother of two sons and a grandmother. She is also the sister of Trevor Jordan, our current CEO and former president. Welcome to Adopt Perspective, Colette. Oh, thanks, Joe. I know it's amazing to think um, how long I've been volunteering at Jigsaw. The years just seem to go, but I think it stacks up to about 23 wow. years. That is and a that great was- commitment. Yeah, yeah. That was just shortly after I did find out news of my mother's family. So, yeah, long time. Well, that's but really I'm not interesting. Ready, yeah, and on. I'm still not ready to, to leave. Cool, good, because we're not ready to have you go. <laughs> so please stick around. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Colette, there's a lot I want to talk to you um, about today, and I'm so excited to do so because you have an amazing story to tell. And... I thought we might actually start with your adoption story, if that's okay, and you tell you could tell me about your early life and how you came to find out that you are adopted. Uh, yes, well, my story does seem long, and um, I often reflect how over the years I've become very good at listening to the stories of others and maybe not as practised or polished at telling my own story, but I, on reflection I can see how it has shortened and shortened and shortened. The older I get, the more easy it is for me to condense it, not lose the value of everything that's gone on in my life, but, you know, just time has given me the uh, wisdom to be able to reduce it. But um, I was adopted as the second daughter in the family. My older sister's three years older than me. Um, And both my mum and dad have passed. Mum has been gone for 17 years and dad... 14 and I think that was a great leap into looking at adoption and my life in a totally different way it was as if 
you you really do become an orphan <laughs> when your parents go and you realize um, how much you're going to miss them. So um, I think um, I think for me, the story of adoption came when my sister was eight and I was about five. Mm -hmm. And one of the words on my sister's spelling list was adopted. Oh, wow. And my mum chose that time to tell us. Uh, she tells us that it was never their intention to not let us know we were adopted, just that awkwardness about when's the right time and when are the children able to absorb what's being said. And, of course, they had no support, nothing like a jigsaw or no one to help them or guide them. Yeah. But that was the first time I recall being aware. And I actually had no questions. In my whole life, I asked very few questions about adoption. It was as, as if I just went inside somewhere and my voice didn't come out to ask mm -hmm. questions. My mum was generous and my dad were generous, you know, trying to help me explore it over the, the years and especially around 1991 when in Queensland we had uh, were able to gain access to the information of our birth. And my mum used to cut things out of the newspapers to show me because I was a very busy working mum and a busy life and she'd cut little snippets out of the paper and I remember her giving me lots and lots of um, information about how to apply for your history and all that sort of thing. But I honestly and truly was not interested. I, I don't know why. It doesn't seem to make sense. I'm a curious person. I love to learn. Um, but I didn't internally have any motivation at all to look. And perhaps I was just a bit timid and mm. shy. <laughs> But um, that was how it went uh, for most of my life. Yeah. So, um, can I just yeah. quickly ask? You said you um, that you had no questions. Were there questions in your head? Like, did you think about it and then just not? You weren't motivated to express them, or was there? You didn't even spend a lot of time musing about it. I didn't overspend time, but I think I felt scared. Yes. And yeah. so. With my brain of today, I'm able to see that I withdrew. And so for me, we've often talked about there being a gap for adoptees where you hold back or you, for me, I see it as a gap between my heart and the rest of the world. Mm. So if I felt frightened or unsure, I would just withdraw and go very quiet. And it was a safe place. It wasn't necessarily a scary place for me to withdraw. Um, I think I've caught sight of myself maybe sucking my thumb and sulking about something at times as I got older. But it's something I've used through my working life as well. It makes it very easy to be a leader when you're able to separate yourself from what's actually going on around you, if, you, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, but um, I think I withdrew and there went my voice. So when I'm in there, I'm not actually, it's not the right place. I always say to people, it's a lovely place to visit, but it's not a good place to stay. Mm. And it's certainly not a good place to live withdrawn from everybody. So a lot of my work over the years, I guess, in the last 20 in particular, have been to make sure or to be able to recognise 
or catch myself when I've withdrawn and gone in there because that's not my choice anymore. My choice is to stay out in the real world and go for the ride and take the lessons and, you know, be present for others. Mm. So, yeah, but the voice, I think I've worked on that voice over the years and people who know me will find that difficult to think um, me other than a confident person who's able to speak publicly. Um, I've held um, and facilitated decades of support groups with Jigsaw, both open um, and adoptee only. And um, But when it becomes your personal life, um, there's another Colette, and that's mm. the adoptee little, little girl Colette, <clears throat> pardon me, who is happy to withdraw if outside's looking a little bit stressful or whatever it might be. Yeah. I think my personality still does that. Yeah. 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 So um, I know you had a busy career and you're a mum and there's, um, there's not a lot of time to do anything or explore anything during that time. But obviously something happened when you were almost 50 that motivated you to begin exploring and questioning. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. I mean, seriously, I've had two children. I um, had 30 years in the finance industry. I had a very senior position and I managed a lot of people and clients. And one day I just went, you know, I'm not learning anymore. I'm going to stop. There's got to be another career that I could go to. Uh, there was a call for me to move to New South Wales, which in those days, Sydney head offices, they, I asked, could I still live in Queensland and run that role, which people can do today? But back then, of course, no. So I made the choice. Oh, <clears throat> excuse me. I made the choice to resign from that position. And um, I felt really confident I would just go and find another career. So I got a, a phone call unexpectedly uh, from someone I'd met through my working career and said, do you want to come and be a business partner in my um, consultancy business? And I went, oh, whoa, how interesting. So during that, there was a lot of training and the, to become a good consultant, we believed you need to know yourself well. So when you enter the room with clients, you're really there, you're not bringing your own problems. So as part of the um, training, we had organized to have a speaker come, a guest speaker come, and he was an international speaker. And as I would always think it would be um, to have an aha moment that, yes, it's now the time to go and find your family information. Mm. I always imagine, I don't know, bells ringing, music playing, <laughs> drums pounding, whatever. No, this guy just presented, right? And the story was about himself, how he had this passion to become a sailor, but the family he lived in, none of them were sailors and they just didn't get it. He was there really to inspire us as a team <clears throat> to not hold back and to set, you know, aggressive goals and to come out of your comfort zone and all that sort of thing. And if, through the course of the story, he told that he was adopted. And he retold the story of himself at five when he was told he was adopted and his parents had called him in from playing with the kids in the backyard to tell him, and he could see his parents had been crying. 
And he thought, oh, my gosh, what have I done? So then they proceeded to tell him that he was adopted and that he came from another mummy. And um, he said, when they finished, he said, is that all? Um, can I go and play football now? Well, it, I don't know. I think it just touched me somewhere. And at the end of it, when the session was finished, it was our practice in the group to pair up and share our stories with others. And so the person who came towards me got a lot more than he expected <laughs> as I burst into tears and started oh. sobbing. I said, and all I could say was, it's the time, it's time. I need to go and find out about my family. And I think he thought I was having a heart attack. But <laughs> it was it was it was so quiet and it it was unexpected, but I didn't stop from that point forward. I contacted the department because my mother had been priming me on how to do all of this. Yeah. I didn't seek out Jigsaw. I went straight to the department. Um, and in those days, they were quite easy to approach. Yeah. And uh, not so many um, computers involved and pre-prepared yeah. forms. And the ball got rolling. And I put put in my request for information, met the most amazing caseworker mm -hmm. who, on reflection, I can tell was an exceptional person in that area. Um, I will never forget the beautiful words. She would have been gorgeous in Jigsaw. And she, the knowledge she had and her way of imparting things to me and encouraging me not to go too fast to always talk to people about how I'm feeling and all that sort of thing. It was a long journey. And um, uh, the day she phoned me to actually tell me about the family, um, I certainly needed her help uh, big time. She, yeah. was, she was a really important person. Um, whereas today I tell people to pick up the phone and ring Jigsaw. Mm. And it doesn't matter who you talk to, they'll be able to help you or any other organization that's set up to understand adoption but um it, it just seems simple but the the light bulb just came on and I can't believe how much denial I had to even imagine that it wasn't going to make a difference uh, because you and I know it makes an incredible difference yeah Actually, one of the things that just struck me about what you said is um, like I did my search in 1991 and I was 19 and the difference between getting advice when you're 19 and getting advice when you're almost 50 is much because I probably heard the same information from people about mm -hmm. getting support, thinking things through. And I was just, I was gung ho. I was, I didn't need the help. I was fine. I didn't, you know, I'm just going to yeah. do my thing. Thanks very much. But and, yeah. um, you know, so years later I got the help and which would have been really helpful back then. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's 19, I guess. I didn't have the wisdom Beautiful. to listen. No, yeah. I love it. I love the um, inability to be well-mannered is how I look at it. I love youth. <laughs> I love youth, right? And I still love young people. Without young people injected into organisations, it's just not good. It's lovely to have the older wisdom around, but um, we need that, I don't know, urgency. So when I, you know, obviously my practice at withdrawal um, that 
seem normal is not necessarily good <laughs> or for all of your life. But at 19, I just love, no, I'm going. And I think in my own way, I became a teenager again at 50 because whilst I was getting the most spectacular advice, I also did my own thing yes, because yeah. of my experience of working with people. I remember I'd, I'd had a life of, you know, my passion is people, yeah. humans, and um, the caring factor, my ability to support others has, is one of my high priorities, still is. But um, I thought, yes, I can do this. I don't need anybody. I've got a good family, good husband who supports me. My sons were older and they both said, whatever you want, mum, you know, we'll be happy. I can tell now that um, it's quite easy to have boys. They're just not interested. Uh, when I met my first nieces, um, oh, my gosh, how excited they were to find you know, they had cousins and they wanted to know everything, all the details. No, not my boys. They just go, how's it going, mum? And, you know, you know, like just cruising along. As long as you're happy, we're happy. Yeah. And uh, that's how I progressed for about 10 years while I searched yeah. uh, for those that I found out existed in my family. Yeah. So. Well, let's talk about um, your search then, I guess, uh, and what you discovered. So you just got, you'd gone to the department and got some good advice about support. And tell us about the search and, and how that all unfolded. Yes, I do remember um, because I'd had a lovely relationship with my caseworker, she, I guess, understood where I was emotionally and being older, mm. it, I don't think, I think they can be more adventurous in how they deliver material. And, of course, there's always lots of paperwork that would come, but I'd asked her to phone me as soon as she found out any information, right? So there's mm -hmm. the teenager. I just want to know, just phone me. I don't care where I am. I'll just stop. So I happened to be in a business meeting yes. <laughs> of all places, and uh, <laughs> she phoned and, I, and she said, look, I've got information are you in a supported environment? I look around and I go, well, I've got my two business partners with me. I go, yes, you know, no way I'm going to say, no, I'm not. I'm in a business meeting. <laughs> so I duck off and I grab, of all things, a, a sticky note, you know, like they're not very big. <laughs> I take one sticky note and a, a pen, right, and I tuck <laughs> myself into a corner and she starts, she tells me, Colette, you're one of ten children oh delivered by your mother. I look at this little bit of paper and I go, oh my God, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so I, so when I, you poke up your skirt and write on your leg. <laughs> so I start making, I've got very scrawly, write, big write, confident big writing. Yeah. And so my writing became very small. As she slowly and most beautifully told me a bit of history about my birth mum yeah. and here's someone who had given birth to 10 babies mm. had signed adoption papers for all of us prior to having uh, giving birth and she also um, ended up keeping one mm -hmm. which took many years for me to even work we still don't know the true story yeah. None of us know. The truth was my mum had died five months before I put <sighs> my papers in, five months. Oh, but that breaks my heart. Yeah. Well, yeah. do you think, you know, when you sit and you cry, mm. as you do, 
I was angry at myself. I yeah. can't tell you how furious I was that I thought I didn't need to know. But, of course, as I had time to settle down and as the years progressed and I learnt more about our mum, I doubt, I doubt she'd have wanted, I don't know, this excitable 50-year-old who's gorgeous wanting to embrace someone and hug them and do all that sort of thing. I don't think she'd have coped. Yeah. She kept the secret all of her life. The one daughter she did know who looked after her for the last 11 years of her life lived in mm -hmm. her home. She still didn't have the courage or the, that's not the right word, I'll retract that word, because it's not about courage, it's a personal journey. Her personal journey didn't allow her to share the truth with her own daughter that she loved and adored. Yeah. And she loved and adored her grandchildren. And, you know, that was the most important thing for me to find out, that she had been loved and adored in her lifetime, because... I had been, I had been so fortunate in the raising that I had, and I was to learn that every one of her children went in very good care. We all have good stories of parents who wanted us. Um, we, you know, in Jigsaw, we hear so much, and not everyone has the same story as me. And there are times when I don't want to share my story with my jigsaw people because I'm aware mine is a little different to a lot of the people I see. But the truth is the whole nine of us were very well cared for and loved. So we had a great upbringing. Um, the only sister who wasn't adopted, she was placed with um, people she called her grandma and grandpa. They were foster carers. And she had, she had the worst childhood of the rest of us. Oh, wow. You know, and yet in her, the day she had her first baby, our mum turned up more. And you can imagine in my brain instantly I went, if I can find that sister who was born second, I was born fourth, I thought if I can find that sister, I'll know everything. But that wasn't what, you know, that didn't eventuate. She knew nothing. Yeah. Um, so the search to find was quickly pushed aside because my angel from the department, my angel as I called her, she delivered the news that one brother had previously, two years before, applied for information and left a request to say that if any other family members what information he's available. Mm -hmm. Now, it does sound ridiculous, but, you know, I didn't go out searching for siblings and no one, no one in my circle said to me, Colette, you might find brothers and sisters. No one. I don't find that strange because I was the same. No. It didn't even occur to me and no one ever mentioned no it. No one said it? No. Yeah. What, what are we, now I yeah. said quickly to everybody. Don't forget, you're going to find this big herd of people <laughs> that you won't know what to do with some days. But um, finding out that Brother Trevor, as you mentioned, uh, with Jigsaw, he had already applied. Well, that was it for me. My whole excitement level was uncontrollable. <laughs> and I, even though I can contain myself and present very well, <laughs> I was out of control. So I grabbed 
we used to have a business postcard, had a beautiful inspirational picture on the front, a little picture of me professionally taken and a small amount of room. So I grabbed this card, I, write to, I got Trevor's name and address and I wrote a small amount because there's not much room on a postcard. <laughs> but I said phone, all, all it was really yelling was phone me. Yeah. Phone me, I just want to talk to you, just phone me. So he didn't phone, did he? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I think it was only a matter of a few days later I um, phoned him yeah. because I couldn't wait. I yeah. just couldn't wait. And from the minute he picked up that phone and said hello, that was it. We've never stopped talking (laughs) and loving each other's company and feeling so good when we're in each other's company. We didn't feel awkward or anything. And Trevor has a very, uh, he was a very busy man as a university uh, professor and lecturer. And I'm supposedly so busy businesswoman. We both <laughs> decided to meet that afternoon and clear our diary and off we went. And so we met at a, I think he was more clever about all this than me. He'd been already involved in the adopt, adoption community. And he said, uh, we should just meet in a cafe, which is, of course, sensible because there's other people around you to keep you grounded yeah. and the waitresses and everyone interrupt you all the time yeah. which is good it's yeah. helpful it's in so a neutral helpful. environment where you're not oh. at somebody's home yeah it's perfect yeah and so five hours later Trevor says I'm exhausted he says <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go home <laughs> so we parted and I think one of the hardest he walked me to my car And I think one of the hardest things was to say goodbye. There was this enormous fear in me that I was going to lose someone I'd just found. Mm -hmm. And Trevor, you know, was the first person with the same blood mother that I'd ever touched or it's that, that first experience and it's unforgettable. And as the years went by and I became the first person to greet my siblings, they hold the same emotion that I have about the first person we touch. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I understand, and in a way, I became, even though there's 10 of us, I became the oldest in the family. And I was more than happy to take that on. Um, I was affectionately called the bossy one because <laughs> I would boss them all to come together and meet yeah. and all that sort of thing. But I I seriously will never forget those five hours. There were no tears or anything from either of us. We just jumped in, boots and all, and started getting to know each other. Yeah. And it was the loveliest thing. It turned my life upside down. I always said I'm healthier today because of me taking that step at 50 um, than had I stayed in my state of denial. You know, it just turn my life around and I guess from there slowly slowly um, that distracts you Uh, Trevor and I met every often weekly and then we finally brought our partners together we've both been married a long time and we had our family so we're both very grounded and um, when we came together Trevor's wife Teresa burst into tears and I realized she was doing what I hadn't done and it was just lovely like the partners 
added some other dimension to the whole experience of meeting family members. Yeah. So, um, yes, of course, we all get on famously still. Yeah. You know. And because we're in have- that, I was just going to say, when we're in that search, like it's very self-centric. And we kind of forget sometimes that we've got partners and children who are watching us and and living with the legacy of adoption as well, even if we're not talking to them about it, they're living with us. So they're they're living with that and are impacted. I think Brian and I had done pretty much everything together. um, We're not a couple, I'd say, are joined at the hip. We've both done our own lives and careers and volunteering Mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing. And he just assumed when I had to drive from the Gold Coast to Brisbane to meet Trevor, that he was coming. And at the last minute, I remember, I could have probably delivered it better. (laughs) I said, you can't come. I said, you can't come. I'll just take a photo and I'll go. I go, you can't come. And he could not understand. And all I could say was, I can't have you there. The truth of what it was, I was selfish. I actually did not want to share this experience with anyone. Yeah. I didn't. I, I recall it. And it took, a, I don't know how many times we meet, Trevor might remember, but it would have been five or six before yeah. I was even half interested for partners to come in. And because Trevor had three boys and I've got two boys, oh, the boys, oh, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Um, as long as the parents are happy, we're happy meet all these people and I'd make jokes about come and sit on my knee I've missed all that you know (laughs) playing with you and jumping around but now they just got on with their life yeah they were beautiful they were beautiful I totally get that I remember meeting my mother and um and when we got to know each other I realized she in fact knew some people from my life you know how these things can intersect in these weird ways and um, so people who I knew, I knew I was going to have to immediately start sharing her almost not on the first meeting, but very quickly afterwards. And I was jealous of it almost. I'm like, can't I just have it to myself for a little bit yeah. <laughs> straight yeah. away? You had to share. Yeah. We'll stop today's episode here and pick up on the 17th of November to find out what Colette discovered about her family history and her words of wisdom about searching reunion and the lifelong legacy of adoption. Meanwhile, do you have a story you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form there. Note that Adopt Perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 double three five eight double six double six if you live in another state of australia you can still call the forced adoption support service number and your call will be answered by the forced adoption support service in the state that you're calling from in every other state relationships australia operates this service a big thank you to matt sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music 
Until next time, I'm Joe Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Adoption.